If that's the breast milk I wanted to give my baby, I'm her mother. She can get it. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. What does it mean to fully embrace motherhood? To fully embrace the God-given responsibility of caring for your children. Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 202 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and today we're speaking to Courtney Valdez, a 26-year-old mom of two beautiful girls and a business owner, hairstylist with a love of homemaking and holistic wellness. Courtney's experience of pregnancy and birth has changed the way her family lives in every way for the better, as we're going to hear in this powerful journey of growth and strength. And not to give a huge spoiler alert, but I do want to say this. The mother that Courtney becomes during this experience, powerful, confident, radically responsible, that is who I want you to meet and become inside of the Home Birth Collective. In the HBC, we dedicate 12 weeks to getting to know the deepest layers of yourself, to meeting that primal mother inside of you and encouraging her to take the driver's seat, not only of your pregnancy and birth, but of your life. We work in sisterhood as community is so vital to preparation for birth and so missing in most contexts. How unbelievable is it to be able to share a common goal with a group of mothers, a group of aligned mothers who totally supports your decision to give birth at home, who wants to form deep relationships and connect authentically. It has been incredible to see these mothers enter and re-enter motherhood after having completed the HBC. Seeing them take radical responsibility in their births and knowing how deeply this will impact generation after generation because they chose to invest in themselves and their families. Oh, it's incredible. If you are excited to join the next cohort of the HBC, which will run from January to March, make sure you are signed up for our waitlist. You'll be the first to know when applications are open and you can grab your spot quickly as spots are incredibly limited. Just go to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash collective to learn more and sign up. Okay, let's jump into this beautiful episode with Courtney. Courtney, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. I would love it if you would take just a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, my name is Courtney. I'm a mom of two. I have a almost 15 month old and a 13 day old. <laughs> so two under two. <laughs> and we've only been doing it for two and a half weeks, but it's amazing. And I'm so happy I decided to do it because my 15 month old is getting more and more willful as the days pass. And I think I would have been scared to go ahead and do it if I didn't do it. I did. Um, <laughs> Also a fiance. I've been with my fiance for seven years and I'm a hairstylist. I own my own business. I'm an independent stylist. So those are all the things I, I do. love it. That's amazing. It's always fun to talk to a fellow entrepreneur. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
Well, great. Okay. Well, this is going to be a really exciting story. Just, you know, kind of hearing what it is that hearing briefly about your journey, I'm excited for you to share it. I'm excited to learn more and hear how everything unfolded. So would you mind telling us kind of just about the very beginning, about becoming pregnant that first time and what that was like? Oh my goodness. Let me reach back. So that was 2020. I had to do like a little bit of research and like refreshing my memory over the last couple of years because I've I've been pregnant and or nursing since November of 2020. So that's when I got pregnant with my uh, first daughter. My fiance and I had been together for five years. Um, I'm trying to think what else was going on at that time. Peak COVID time. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was shut down. I mean, all the masks, all the things. And we live, I, I'm from New Mexico. So, I mean, we were one of the most locked down states. So it was like, we were spending a lot of time together and we're like, what a great time to start a family. If we're just going to be home, <laughs> you know, um, Might as well. <laughs> yes. yeah. So I, at that time, I'm trying to think back, like, who I was at that time. I was, I think I had been, I had just taken this leap to get off birth control, and we had been practicing FAM, I think, for about a year. So that was cool, kind of starting this, like, dive into, you know, getting to know my body better and doing all those things. So we were lucky enough to conceive on our first try because I had a pretty good idea of what was going on. Um, if I look back to that time, I was very physically fit, but now the more I've learned and changed in the last two years, I was, I was physically fit, but very undernourished. If I look back to who I was then, I started care. Like I feel like so many people do. I know not everybody does, but my mom was like, well, you need to go to OBGYN, blah, blah, blah. These are the three hospitals that we have here. So I had started my care with a midwife. That was me making like a crazy decision. I was like, I'm going to choose a midwife at the hospital. This is so crunchy of me. And I stayed at that hospital. I'm trying to think. It was, I had taken the, I had already done the gestational diabetes test that go around, which I did with Mm -hmm. organic jelly beans. I mean, like I said, just very crunchy decisions that first time. (laughs) I think it was around that time I switched from a midwife to an OB at the hospital because I will never forget. I was, I was, I love being pregnant. So I would go in to my appointments and I would just be like, oh yeah, I'm a little nauseous today, this, this, and this. And I mean, not even a complaint, just kind of like, I love to talk. I see connection with the people I communicate with and my midwife being like, and I say midwife, it's more medwife, um, was like, well, you are growing a parasite. And I just remember that like taking me back so much that I can remember leaving my appointment, going to the front and saying, switch me to the OB that she, I think she had seen me once because that midwife wasn't there one of the appointments. And I was like, she's whatever. I'll just take her. I had seen her one more time. And she was like, yeah, next appointment, you're getting the Tdap vaccine. I mean, there was no like informed consent. There was nothing. And I remember that being like, we don't want to talk about this. And I had kind of just been like, stepping my toes at that point in my life. And I really do think it was because of the pandemic. Uh, what is informed consent? What does it mean for me to have autonomy? Um, what What are the reasons there's such an uproar, uproar in the world right now? So I feel like COVID and pregnancy really opened my eyes to kind of the degree of autonomy I had over myself. And even at that time, even though I hadn't gone all in, like I'd say I am now, just of how much I was outsourcing all of my decisions to other people. So I think that moment of like, well, this is what you'll be doing next appointment. I was like, oh, this just isn't going to work. So I can remember leaving, making my appointment and knowing I'm not coming back here. And that afternoon I was like, I'm going to hire a doula. 
And I, I didn't ever hire a doula. Like I hear a lot, like as someone to advocate for me, I think in that moment, I just knew I didn't want to be alone. Like I, I didn't want my mom at my first birth and I love my mom, but she had two very, um, medically managed births. Um, and I don't think she came out of them even knowing they were traumatic until her and I have talked. So I just, I, I had this sense that she was kind of freaked out that I was going to, I did end up transferring to a birth center. So that's why I wanted to hire the doula. And I hired her, and then within that same same two days, I transferred my care to a birth center. So that was nice. But I, in hindsight, the birth center was like, I mean, a hospital that looked like a spa. But it took wow. going through the whole, kind of the whole thing to see back. So now, now having a home birth, I've literally done a little bit of everything. Yeah, you really have. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're definitely someone that we can talk to and ask questions because you've experienced yeah. it all. Yeah. Um, now, one thing I do want to share because, oh gosh, nothing grinds my gears like saying that a baby is a parasite. <laughs> like yeah. It makes me so mad. It makes me so angry because it's actually scientifically not true. Like I think that we know this as mothers, just, you know, being a mother that our baby is not a parasite. I think that's like, we just feel that. But there are, are actually back and forth benefits from mom to baby and from baby to mother. So it has been shown like a, a baby's cells actually transfer across like some of a baby's DNA transfers into the mother, like through the yeah. placenta, migrates through her body. Like it prevents cancer. Of motherhood to me, like yeah. that we literally carry each other's DNA, you know? Right. Yes. Forever. And like th there, there are studies like 27 years later, this fetal DNA can be found throughout your body. And it's used like when, if cancer is, it arises, like those cells go and fight. So it is not parasitic. And it's just so, so sad to me, I guess, to hear these medical care providers, like, you know, this is a child, right? Like, you know, this is a human life. Just speak so negatively about it. Just, oh. And it was kind of laughable because whenever I researched it, it was like, well, midwives, typical approach to pregnancy is that they view pregnancy. I mean, it's like a textbook definition. They view pregnancy as a natural occurrence in a woman's life, whereas an OBGYN, the obstetric view is it's a sickness that needs to be cured. And I was like, ah, oh, this is like the right decision. So it was like automatic disappointment. And I felt like that was kind of a, this reoccurring theme where like I, I was always full of this like giddy happiness wanting to talk about pregnancy. And I even found this with other women. And I, I just, I didn't ever really find that connection of someone who was like, it was like, I, if I wanted to talk horror stories or misery, I would find common ground with women. But I never found common ground with many women when I just wanted to be excited or happy or, right. you know what I mean? And that, that was really hard. So I feel like my first pregnancy, I just didn't talk about it. I didn't, especially once I transferred to a birth center, I didn't, I didn't want to talk to anybody about that excuse me, I didn't want to open it, open up room for the negativity, especially when I was already facing it from my providers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how frustrating is that, that this beautiful life transformation, like the most thrilling thing, really, I mean, the, the biggest transformation in a woman's life is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's into motherhood. And so for us to devalue that on a cultural level, just like across the board devalued 
Absolutely. I mean, what is that telling mothers? Like, what is that telling us? What is that setting us up for? It's not success. <laughs> That's definitely not it. Yep. And I almost feel like everyone needs right now, and I think it's just kind of our climate, everyone needs everything to be relatable. So whenever someone's experience is positive or they are taking this approach, it's like, well, just wait, you know, just wait until this happens. Um, go ahead and get the drugs. It's just worth it. You know, what I mean? it's like, even though I'm not relatable to you or I'm not taking the road that you took doesn't mean I'm saying what you did was any less than what I'm doing. Or, right. you know, I'm trying to find the right words as to, I, I feel like people, when you do something different than them, think you're knocking what they're doing. Like yes. there's no shame in what you've done especially if you've made an empowered decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's such a good point. And the, yeah, the just wait mentality, how that continues. Like, we'll just wait until they're a toddler. We'll just wait until they're a teenager. Just wait, right. just wait. It's like, oh, well, I'm not going to wait my life away. I'm going to find the beauty and value in every single one of these phases because I have a choice in that. <laughs> I Absolutely. can choose to be miserable or I can choose to appreciate and be mindful Absolutely. and present and happy. And even through the times that have been hard, I mean, mm -hmm. I've only had two and two under two for a couple of weeks, but it's like, you know, my mom has always told me like, there's, there's a lot of bonding to be had in the hard moments. Yeah. And I have had more hard moments with my first daughter. And I, I attribute that to the way she entered the world. I really do. Cause I think mm -hmm. that has an imprint on our nervous systems. And I, I see that in her personality a little bit, but I, all the hard times are what has I feel like made us bond the most and it's way yeah. harder said than done when you're in the thick of like a, a tantrum or I mean like breastfeeding challenges or whatever. But when you come out of them and you watch this little person's personality just blossom, it's like, gosh, this is so good. And a lot of times it's the hard stuff that's more rewarding. I guess yeah. like birth, I don't know if you have an unmedicated birth, you're like, I've already done the hard stuff. Like we're just going to do like hard things are good, you know? Yeah, they they stimulate growth. I love that perspective. And what joy to find in that compared to like, oh, it's just all bad. Like, no. Yeah. This is these are these are like playing grounds for growth. These are playing yeah. grounds for bonding and connection and like and yeah. enjoying the the stuff. So that's oh, that's so insightful. I love it. Well, so tell me, okay, so you said that you started to see that OB. And then you very quickly after that transferred to this birth center? Yes. I hired a doula, um, very medically minded doula. Now that I look back, she was wonderful. But like I said, peak COVID, they wouldn't come in our house without masks. Like they were very, didn't align more so with us, but she, she never pushed her views on us either. You know what I mean? But now looking back, like where I am now, there would never be someone in my birth space who didn't align with us as a family on yep. all of the levels. Just because I think when you don't, like you're already messing with your hormonal cocktail you know and I didn't know that then but she was very I think she's very involved with the birth center so she was like oh this is exactly what you're wanting um I wasn't even opposed to home birth at the time I had the means it was just never I don't know like I said I was on the precipice then I just didn't I hadn't really stepped into my power of like knowing all my options and even like the little things I was doing like the birth center I was like oh this is wild so switched to the birth center and I want to say that was around 30 weeks um and it was the same. Like when I look back on it, it was like a collective of midwives. I think there was six. It's a state-run birth center, so they're 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 following all the same 
procedures that a hospital is, or even a licensed midwife, right? But I feel like they have a little bit more to lose. So I'm not going to quote their transfer rate because I don't know it exactly, but it's astronomical. I actually sometimes look back and I'm like, I cannot believe that I birthed the baby there, that I wasn't just ran pull him out of there. Um, right. It was the same as the hospital. A lot of pokes and prods. I mean, I was like getting my blood drawn constantly, constantly. My weight was being checked. I mean, it was just like where I live, there's, you have to do, it's crazy. Uh, in New Mexico, you're required to pass um, three syphilis tests. And I was like, okay, I'll do it once. But I've been with this, I've been with my partner for five years, so I can assure you. I do not have that. And it was like, they were, they really weren't okay with that. They constantly pushed like we're holistic midwifery, but I mean, every time I wanted to deny something, it came with so much pushback and I just didn't have the backbone at that time that it was like, I, even though this is wildly degrading, I'll take the, the STD test again, you know, just a lot of that. It was like always, Oh, we want you to make birth plans. We want you to do all of this. And then you know, here I come with this hefty birth plan. And it was like, I mean, I think it was a week before I delivered. We'll fast forward. Nothing else. I can't think of anything else in that time that mattered. It was a week before I had had my daughter, one of the midwives who the whole time, we just never clicked. And this is how the stars aligned. She calls me and she's like, I have a huge problem with your birth plan. You know, you've requested against fundal massage, which I noted as fundal pressure (laughs) because I don't think it's a massage. And I had done a lot of research on that. And I was just, I don't think it's necessary. If it is, I can massage my own fundus. I was very big, at least at that time of my life, uh, in consent. And the reason being, like I had said before, my mom had a very medically managed birth and was actually given two episiotomies with both her kids without her consent. And like, I believe that causes like generational trauma. Like I just, it, it like hurt me for my mom. So I knew that in my birth, I would always be touched or anything was done to me, it would be consensual. Mm -hmm. So she was like, I have a huge problem with you not being okay with fundal massage. That's absolutely necessary. And if I don't have the capability to do that, we don't know if we're necessarily comfortable with you birthing here. And I had requested against, basically their issues were with the third stage of labor. You could tell that they very much so medically managed the third stage of labor and need control. I also didn't want Pitocin. I was offered Pitocin as a root. Like I could just say, I want Pitocin whether I have heavy bleeding after I deliver the placenta or not. And that should have been my first red flag. Why would you ever offer me that and disrupt our hormonal cocktail even after she was born when it's the most important time? Mm-hmm. And to my surprise, I got both of those things that I requested against. And I mean, you were st- like, I was, I was in labor land, man. Like I, I truly believe like God just took me to another world because of how disturbed I was to in that birth by that midwife happened to be the midwife on call. Oh That's my God. I didn't have the guts to say, not you. And now I know I could have, um, but I was so in labor land. I was so, I was out of my body and she's like, okay, well you need fundal massage. And at that point you're just like, okay, fine, just do it. Oh, and you need Pitocin. Okay, just do it. You know what I mean? But I don't, I accept now, like through taking responsibility that, you know, I, I placed myself there. I made those decisions to have those care providers, but I really do feel like they took advantage of your vulnerability. It's, it's a hundred percent what it is. And not many people. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you cannot, like you cannot very easily, um, 
stick to what <laughs> you have said prior, like in your thinking brain, what you want. It's not so easy to access when you're in labor because you're not using your thinking brain. Like you it's are in, yeah, you're in your limbic brain. And so yeah. it, it is actually like they are doing something wrong to you <laughs> by doing that. When you told them with your thinking brain, I don't want that. And then they stepped all over you when you weren't able to access that part of your brain as well as you normally would. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's always how it's fun, but you needed it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't need it, you know, two weeks ago when you had an issue with it. It's just that the control was then taken out of your hands. And I don't believe medical midwives know how to support women in their power because they're so used to having their gloved hands all over everything, you know? And that's how I really left that experience was... Um, like that was just kind of robbed from me in a way, but at the same time, like I, I made the decisions to be there too. And I didn't want to just, you know, play a a victim. I know that sounds really harsh, but I was like, I have to accept my role in all of this and forgive them and forgive myself in order to like, never do that again and move forward and own, own my power and my Mm -hmm. capability of making better informed decisions. Because when I look back, think it's easy to say, well, I did my best. I I don't think I did. Like maybe, but I could have researched more. I could have, you know, there was little, there was signs that were given to me, um, you know, intuitively of how I felt about people. And I didn't follow those. And I feel Uh, like if women, your intuition about a person, the first time is usually right. I've never had it be wrong. No. No, you're right. <laughs> and that's that's actually one of the biggest things that we talk about inside of the Home Birth Collective. The, these things that you're mentioning right now, two things that really stood out to me. Number one, that honing into your intuition and yes. letting it guide you, not just listening to it, but abiding by it. <laughs> you know, step one, hear it. Step two, do what it's telling you. Don't be that person that hears it but then goes against it. Like we almost always regret it. Right. And then the other thing, you taking responsibility for what happened, even though, you know, obviously we can sit here on this, on this side and be like, that's unfair what they did to you. It is, but you deciding, you know what, I'm stepping into the power position and I'm taking responsibility even if I didn't feel like I had it then. I'm taking it now and I am reframing you that means you now are in the locust of control. You now are the one in control because you have decided that's how you're going to handle it. And that is the most powerful thing that a mother can do. It's it's incredible. Yeah. And I I I think it's I'm trying to find the words for this. Now that I have and maybe it's because I outsourced so much of my health with my first, you know, there was I I only did two ultrasounds, but I, I, I've connected so deeply now that I'm a mother. It's just not a shadow of a doubt. It's not a question of how we do things. I can remember being so tepid. Like if I was going to disappoint the midwives, I kind of wanted to be good. Like, you know, that good girl mentality of, or, you know, anytime they questioned me, I was like, well, you know, she really knows more than me. And it's like, mm-hmm. my intuition with my kids is enough. Yep. Even if someone knows more than me, if I have a gut feeling with my children and my pregnancy and my births, it is what it is. Cause I only get one shot. And mm-hmm. I think that's been, I didn't know I would have more healing to do. Um, after my birth with my second daughter, I can just remember thinking, God, you deserve this, you know, 
she, my first daughter deserved the birth that my second got. It's going to be emotional. So, but I feel like now that I have these tangible beings, even though they were very, my first daughter was very tangible, I didn't have that confidence, you know what I mean, that I needed. Where maybe if I wasn't so, I sometimes think if I didn't have so many ultrasounds and there wasn't so many tests, I would have really been able to, rather than reading all the birth books, just sit down and connect with me and my baby and more so lean into that intuition that I feel like I really did this time. Well, and I love though that now we we can think about this fact that you have the comparison. You see what it is now like to lean into that. And there is not like that version of Courtney, that uncertain version is gone. That's gone. You are a mother who makes decisions that you are confident with and you you do it with confidence. You're not going to let somebody run all over you. You're not going to let somebody give you a fundal massage when you know that you sure don't want it. Like that is huge. How much of a blessing for these children to have that mother who learned from her experiences and took that information and improved. Like that is that's amazing. That's what we all want. And I feel like that's one of the things that's I love being pregnant. I love birth. Even even after my daughter's experience, I was like, there are so many amazing things I can take from that situation. And it sucked having to like pull bits and pieces and like really be mindful about what was good. That sucks, right? But I still could. And I was like, I cannot wait to do this again. Because mm-hmm. doing it again the right way, you know, according to my standards, right, would be so amazing. And it just was like the most healing thing. Like, I just, I feel like that kind of experience, my birth with my second daughter and even my prenatal care, just everything has the power to like heal generations. Like I can just, I, I live and I, I'm Christian. I, I believe in like, you know, generational curses and generational trauma. I don't know. I felt that lifted from my life and even my daughter's life through her birth, you know? Wow. That's amazing. It is amazing. And and also, you know, you mentioned the nervous system earlier and the way that we can heal our nervous system. I feel like it does that same thing. Like oh, yeah. it allows for so much generational healing. We store so much inside of ourselves. So releasing that, allowing the healing is so massive. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what you were even alluding to when you said, you know, I obviously it sucks to have to like nitpick and find the positives, but I did it. (laughs) I did that. Like that is still like taking that nervous system into account and working on its healing. Um, So will that being the case though, would you want to share kind of how that birth actually unfolded? Like how did you go into labor? What was it kind of like? Yeah. So I was 38 and five with my, so I have two daughters, Stevie and Tommy. Mm -hmm. Stevie's my oldest. Um, so at 38 and five, I started having rhythmic contractions at like 8.30 and I was so excited. I just remember being like, this is it. Uh, my partner is a law enforcement and officer and he was at work and I texted him and I was like, today's the day you better get home. Even though I'm like having my first contractions, I'm like, get here now. Cause I just didn't want to be alone and I was so excited. So at 8.30, I started having rhythmic contractions. I was timing them. I was like, not going to sleep that night. I mean, I was like, I cannot wait to experience this. Um. I think I labored in the tub all night. I like cuddled my dog. There was no way I was sleeping. And I can just remember looking over at Jordan 
my fiance and being like, look at you just getting great sleep. You don't even care that I'm laboring. But I think he knew like this is because he had read the books. Like I think we read the most like my first pregnancy, the Bradley method. So I knew like the stages of labor and so did he. So he's like, have fun with this. I'm going to rest. You're going to need me later. Yeah. So fast forward 830. I think 830 is when my contraction started. 830 the next day my water broke. I had already called my doula and it was like, it was like a movie water break. I was bouncing on the BOSU ball and Jordan went to get us some waffles and he dropped a pan in our cupboard. And when the pan dropped, my water just burst like, like the loudest balloon ever. I started crying because I was so shocked that it happened because I just hadn't, I had no idea that was about to happen. It was, it was hilarious. I think I will never forget. I remember my doula looking over at me, which now I know bothers me. She was like, I just want you to know, you know, after your water breaks, a lot of times women find it gets very intense. And I can remember oh, having thanks. no fear at that point. Nothing was really intense. Like, yeah, you would be like, ooh, there's another one. But I, I didn't have any fear. And I can remember at that point kind of being like, oh, shit, this is about to take a turn. And then having a couple contractions and then definitely being more intense, like she was right. And then really having to pull myself out of that. And then I feel like at that, after that, I was kind of like, well, maybe I should get to the birth center. Like, I don't know why that kind of gave me a sense of urgency I didn't have before. So I want to say it was like by 10 o'clock, we drove to the birth center. It was like a 20 minute drive. I find out on that drive that the midwife I did not like was the one on call. So I'm already, I'm already, I just know now looking back, I was, my hormonal cocktail was already gone. Because now I'm already mm-hmm. thinking, like, this is this person that's going to be overseeing me give birth this whole time and probably having an issue with everything. I'm guaranteed going to get Pitocin, and I'm guaranteed going to get a fundal massage, and who knows what else. And, you know, fast forward, I, now I can talk about it. And labor was amazing. I loved it. I, um, I, I don't know. It's probably a combination of, like, things I've went through in my life, but, um, I, I love to feel things. Um, Mm -hmm. I have like, I've seen a lot of addiction in my life and just a lot of people I know they're very close to me just wanting to kind of numb everything. So my mom and I have always had this saying, like, even if you're feeling something bad, it's so good to know that you're alive, you know? So birth was like this crazy adrenaline rush for me. I've always been an athlete since I was young. So like, I've always been able to do hard things, I guess. Like, I mean, also giving like a lot of gratitude to my creator you know like I knew I could get through that with God but I was like there's literally like I can if there's one thing I'm not gonna go to the hospital because I'm tired like I just knew that going into it and when we showed up of course she wanted to check my cervix and she asked and I was six centimeters dilated and that was at 10 I labored for a while labeled it labored in the tub She kept, the midwife just kept coming in every hour wanting to check my cervix. She just had to be touching me and I would, I would oblige because it was like, it's going to get her out of here quicker. You know what I mean? I literally can't stand her face. (laughs) It was that bad. Um, I can even remember one point being in the tub and her checking the water temperature and accidentally turning the faucet on and the hose jumping up and spraying me with water all over in the middle of a contraction. And I was just like, I hate this lady. I cannot wait for this lady to get out. And I think at that point, I want to say maybe by two, uh, fur had already started to kick in. I was getting super grunty um, with contractions. I labored on the toilet, which was really good. And then I'm trying to think of what time she checked me. It was three o'clock 
at, I, I have a couple little just random notes here. At 3 o'clock she checked me, p.m., and I had a cervical lip. And I felt, I now looking back, I, I, I just don't think I was ready. I don't think I, yes, cervical lips are real, but I just think I needed to be left alone. I needed people to stop looking at me. I needed to be able to keep moving positions and do all the things. And I, I was 10 yeah. centimeters dilated whenever she checked me and I had the cervical lip, but I don't think that means you're ready to push. I wasn't. No. You know what I mean? I, I don't understand the disconnect with that. Like I don't, it's also frustrating just when we look at, um, you know, physiology and how a cervix dilates, it doesn't dilate in this perfect cylinder. I mean, in this perfect circle, it's more of an oval and the way that it dilates, it dilates back. And so that anterior cervical lip it's going to be there at some point. Everyone is going to have that at some point. Like now yeah. that I have this appreciation of my body and it's like divine intelligence, I'm like, it was there for a reason. It didn't mm -hmm. need your fingers inserted in me prodding against it to move it out of the way, which she did twice and was easily the most painful part of my labor. Mm -hmm. I had no ring of fire and I even purple pushed and that still didn't hurt. And that was the most uncomfortable part of my labor was when she needed to check my cervix nonstop, especially to move out a cervical lip that needed to be there. In my, in my opinion, like that's how I look yeah. back. Like that was there because it needed to be. My baby wasn't ready mm -hmm. to come yet, even though yeah. I was 10 centimeters dilated. Mm -hmm. So I think at that point I had really, it just really slowed things down. Um, I had labored on the toilet for a while and I can just remember looking over at Jordan and just saying, I am tired. It wasn't pain. It was like I had had fur for so long. And I'm sure maybe my cervix had begun to swell a little, which is another variation of normal. Now I know, you know, and I just needed to sleep. And I just remember like I had worship music on and I was just like, God, like, just give me a little bit of rest so I can rejuvenate. And mind you, like I'm at 10 centimeters dilated at this point, like things are really happening. And from four to five, I actually just went to sleep. I just fell asleep for an hour and I can remember waking up. I had my rebozo covering me. I can remember waking up in between contractions and fur kind of still happening and like just involuntarily uh, pushing with those waves and an hour had passed and who's there again? You know, my midwife, like I need to check you. We need to see where things are at. And she's like, well, your baby is right here. Like she was already plumbing my birth canal, but I was asleep and like, I needed that so much. She was like, you can start pushing now. But I, I wasn't having the fetal ejection reflex in that moment. But I think because she said it, and I know because I was so sick of just seeing her and being touched by her that I was just like, all right, like I'm just going to push right now. I wasn't even having a contraction. Like I just wanted it to be over. Not mm -hmm. birth. That's what, that's what infuriates me is because I yeah. loved that so much. I loved all of those feelings. I just was so sick of her. Um that I just, I pushed and I think I had her within 30 minutes. I had her at 534. So with a couple of pushes, guided pushing at that point, I had gotten out of the tub and I was on my, I wanted to be on my back. I was, cause I was sleeping on the bed and whenever mm -hmm. she checked, me, like, Oh my God, she's right here. So I pushed her out. No ring of fire. I was ready for that. I was like, that, I mean, that was like spoken over me the most, like just wait until your baby is crowning. But like I said, like, I just, I really, I had never felt God's presence more than in Stevie's birth. And I really think it's because that was the piece I needed to come out of it mm -hmm. and still have hope and faith mm -hmm. in birth. And it's like divine power and just that it, it can feel good and 
be amazing. Like, I just, I mean, I fell asleep. Like, I'm just like, what kind of peace? Like, none, that was never told to me. I was told, like, and you watch, you know, movies, you're like, no one falls asleep. You just scream in agony. So I, I like, look back and I'm like, how amazing is that? Like, it was just, it was awesome. It, everything felt good up until that. And then um, I think when it really got bad was I, I pushed her out and you could just tell immediately. Like, Jordan actually caught her. My partner caught her. Um, I watched myself push her out. Also, they did uh, offer me a mirror. So that was really cool. Um, but she came out and she was, you know, there's that little bit of like that transition period. And I should have known with how hands-on they already were that like, we don't allow transition period. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I for her coming out and I wanted to rub her back a little bit. Like, I don't know why that was just like intuitively in that moment, what I thought to do. And them just being like, no, 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 don't touch her like that. Just immediately, immediately. Like you're already doing it wrong. And they took her from me. And I don't, I don't know if they gave her to Jordan, but they started giving her breasts. They were talking about her color and it was just like chaos. Like I just remember kind of being aloof, like I said, because I was really in labor land and then being kind of hovering over, giving her breasts and not really know what was going on. I was still having contractions because I was ready to, I think my body was like, all right, let's get rid of this placenta, you know? And I... I don't even know. It was an hour later after I pushed her out that I got to hold her for the first time. Um, we never, yeah, that's how long she was being given breasts. But I mean, in that time of her being given breasts, she was weighed, measured. Like, I just, I don't know if something was that urgent to me. I don't think you would add that in there. You know, Jordan did get into skin with her, which is great, but we didn't have the skin to skin. Um, her cord was crazy. We didn't get it. I, which I now know statistically is proven to improve that transition period. You know what I mean? Like being close. To, I told my husband, I wasn't going to say, you know what I mean in this podcast once. Um, <laughs> well, um, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which is proven to improve that, that exact well, don't thing worry, that like, struggling with. Don't, don't worry. They're holistic midwives. Yeah, it's fine. With their gloves all over my private parts and now my daughter because she's not coming to this world because she's not in my arms. You know, now mm -hmm. I look back to all of it and it was just like, you know, you guys couldn't get me transferred during my care here, but now I know I got my transfer. And it was, I was able to hold her for a couple minutes and they called, they had like a special ambulance that did the baby transfers for them. Um, they must do that so much that they need that special hookup. Um, so they, we did that. I was able to leave, I think an hour and a half later, I delivered my placenta, no problems. Um, and I think I really was ready to get it out because I just knew kind of what was going to unfold. Um, so then my daughter was transferred to the NICU for three days for TTN, which is that, you know, when they have trouble in that transitionary period, um, she was given antibiotics at the NICU without her consent. Um, we, I, my milk did not come in for two days. I was denied donor milk at the hospital because they couldn't prove where it came from. It was just like, it was terrible. And I was like, well, now I know I'm never going to have a baby at a hospital. And yeah. you know, the one thing I will say about the birth center was they were pro-medical freedom. I didn't have to advocate for our decisions as much as I did at the hospital. There was a lot of fear mongering in regards to the decisions we make as a family that like put a really nasty taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um, and like by the, by the 
second morning of my daughter being there, she was off of IVs. She was not getting any more, um, what is it, sugar water? What is that stuff mm-hmm. called? Like, she was just sitting there being observed. And I was like, I cannot fathom how my daughter couldn't thrive more. Number one being where there aren't sick babies. At home with me, me able to get my milk to come in and us just connect. Like, because my daughter and I connecting is what's going to improve her health when she's clearly not sick. Yeah. So we finally got to go home. And, and, I, and I think it was because I told, I told the nurse, I was like, I have to go home today. We do not have a sick baby. I, had to, I remember telling the nurse, like, those babies over there that are three pounds are sick. My daughter is sitting here without an IV, um, is th- eating so good. Um, you know, the formula or whatever, like that I didn't want to give to her, but they were like, you know, let go of your pride. Your baby just needs to go home. And it's like, oh my God. it's just all of it. When I look back, I'm like, guys are really doing great for moms and babies yeah. here. But I was yeah. like, you need to let us go home. And if not tonight, we're going to get a second opinion. And now I know, now I know we probably could have gone home the second day if I'd have said, you know, we're going to take my daughter somewhere else and ask if this is necessary. Mm-hmm. I just, I just yeah. especially during COVID, like if we're really worried about babies being sick, why are healthy babies in the NICU for just in case? Yeah. Why are you wrecking my daughter's microbiome with antibiotics just in case? Yep. You know, uh, that and that was such a, a if that's the <laughs> breast milk I wanted to give my baby, I'm her mother. She can get it. Mm-hmm. It was just, yep. it was so much control. It was so much control and just like breaking you down, breaking you down those first days of your life as a mother to, you know what? I don't know what's best. Let's start outsourcing my decisions for my kid now. Mm. I I think that that time was too. And it was just like the reoccurring theme of my life at that point. Like no one knows what's best for your own health. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think that that, that the excuse of the pandemic was used to pull rights away in so many ways. Like, you know, you think about how long people had to wear masks on airplanes. It's like, really? Like, and how long people were not allowed to have support. Like, these people were not allowed to have support in their birthing situations and their birthing processes. Moms weren't allowed to see their babies, but like one time a day in the NICU or whatever stupid rules that they had. I was not allowed to sleep. So, mind you, I just delivered a baby vaginally. Um, I think I had a a periuteral tear. I didn't need mm-hmm. any, stitches, but I was a little sore. Um, and I wasn't allowed to sleep next to my daughter. If I would start to nod off, they would say, you have to go home. We're not allowed to let anyone sleep here. So I would sit there with my eyes peeled on a hard chair and just stare at her because I was like, I can't leave because I don't trust any of you <laughs> to follow mm-hmm. my decisions for my daughter. And I wasn't able to heal. I mean, this time I'm like up and going. I My bleeding has stopped. I feel amazing. But last time, like, that's why I wasn't able to heal. I just didn't, I didn't have any peace, like physically, yeah. emotionally. I, but I just can't understand that. Like, you know, healthy mom, healthy baby. Right. But <laughs> yeah, no. let's milk all it for all it's worth. Yeah. Yep. Well, so it sounds like, I mean, listening to that experience, that sounds just awful. Um, but what did it take for you to kind of work through that and heal through that process between or during, I don't know if you did this like during your pregnancy as well. What, what was that healing process like? Um, I feel like breastfeeding my daughter was like a huge part of healing because that took so much advocating for us too. 
but I already had this baby and I just knew like I was going to breastfeed. Um, she had oral ties, so it was very hard. Our support, surprise, surprise, at the birth center for lactation was terrible. It was like, yeah, she's tied, but the procedure would be super hard. Um, just use the nipple shield. A lot of people use nipple shields the whole time. Like, you know, I would tell someone, I'm really struggling to breastfeed. Just give formula. It was never, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get help from anyone. I am breastfeeding this kid. So I feel like by not giving, like, like going back to what I was saying about the hard things, advocating for our breastfeeding relationship and doing it for nine and a half months until my pregnancy with Tommy was one of the most healing things and just connecting with her through that like giving her that life source outside of the womb like I know that played such a big role and just like you know coming out of it and being able to appreciate a lot of those really good aspects of it and then I think when I got pregnant with Tommy it was like oh I'm not I'm we're having a home birth. I don't care how much it costs. It's in the budget. You don't have a choice. Like this, this is the most important thing, the life, bringing life to my children, you know? So in that, I read some Ina May books uh, and she's like all about healing. I did some art healing. Like I didn't really have mm -hmm. any awesome paintings or anything, but I would like doodle, like to get things out of my head. When fears would come to me, I would like speak them and I would be done because like, I truly believe our words have power. I don't believe my words have the power to like manifest anything, but I know that our words have power. So from the second, I mean, even preconception, we had, we got pregnant with Tommy at four months postpartum, but I had came out of that at that point. Like we were so happy. Breastfeeding was going good. Um, my partner and I, like, going through that really brought us together, thank God. So we were like, oh, yeah, we'll have another baby. <laughs> yeah. But um, through that, just, you know, if there was this fear that came up, like, well, what if when I have my baby, she needs help breathing? That was always the thing. That was the constant fear, mm -hmm. I think, because of what I went through with Stevie. It was like, well, what can you do? What can you do right now to relieve this? And that kind of came from Jordan. He's like a pro he's a total problem solver, right? He's like, so how can you mm -hmm. fix this? And I would... I just watched neonatal resuscitation. I watched it for free birth because I think if you're going to have a home birth, you better be ready to free birth, you know? Yep. And I, I knew I didn't want anyone to save me. I didn't need anyone here to save me this time. So just watching a ton of neonatal resuscitation, knowing when it was time, if we needed to, to call for help. And then finding a provider who I knew, who I absolutely knew in my heart, if we were transferred. It was life or death. It was because yeah. we needed it, not because they needed to cover their ass, essentially. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, and I mean, thinking about this, you know, you were, yeah, you were, you were really fresh, you know, from this experience, starting this new experience. So when you were searching out like a care provider, uh, what what was that like for you, and how did you how did you find your care provider? What did you decide to do this time around? Um, I so I already had I was it's kind of weird, you know, because like I said, it wasn't cut and dry dramatic, but I I rode that birth high for a while, knowing that I did it. Like I I don't believe that my birth was necessarily natural. I think there was so so much hands on activity going on while it was unmedicated. I definitely don't feel like it was natural. But the high that I had from labor, I was like, no, that's addicting. And I was like, I want to do that again. So 
I mean, it was like three weeks postpartum and I was looking at home birth midwives because I was like, what, what do we have to offer here? And like, I'm going to look at this now because I already know I'm going to want to do this again. So I'm ready when I do do it. And so I had like a list I had gathered kind of just like, are you willing to sit on your hands? And (laughs) that was like the question I had. And my second question was like, do you support free birth? And I think, you know, do you support unassisted birth? Because if you're the kind of provider that doesn't, you believe your presence saves me. And that's the exact thing that I didn't want. Like, I just did not want that. And I can remember the first midwife I talked to when I talked to her, she was like, yeah, I split my time from this hospital and home. And I was like, definitely not taking the hospital to my house. She was like, you can, this is as many people as I'll allow at your home birth. And I was like, damn, you're trying to dictate what goes on in my home. Hard pass. And I actually mm-hmm. told her, I was like, I'm just not looking for as medically as minded as a midwife as you. And she was like, okay, great. And moved on. Wanted me to wear a mask in my house. And I was just like, this is funny. Like, absolutely not. Like we're not the same person. And then it was the second midwife that I interviewed. She was, I just, the second I saw her face, and I, this isn't going to sound so weird, but I had been praying for discernment and I had been praying for this that I almost like the second that I met her, the second that I walked into this, they have a little collective where she's at. It's a, um, an NP, a core synchronist, um, and the midwife. And it, I just walked into this cool little place and I was like, where has this been? And it's funny because now the nurse practitioner is like our family doctor. And I saw the lady that does core synchronism the whole time. And I chose her as my midwife, but she just immediately was like, of course I'm okay with unassisted birth. She sees a lot of women just for prenatal care after unassisted birth. Um, You know, every question I asked, there was, it was never responded. I was never responded to with a, I'll allow that or this Mm -hmm. or that. Like, I don't know. It was just like, you're who I want. And not to mention, she's British and has the most lovely English accent. And I was like, you're so cool. I just, I just want to hang out with you. And that's really what it became. And I, I'm approaching my six-week appointment with her. And I'm like mourning the loss of a friendship because what she was like, and I, like I said, when I um, sent the story to you is, I just, I view her as this wise woman that I was able to like, she just held space for me. My appointments were, my mom would call me and she'd be like, how are you still at your appointment? And we would sit there and talk for an hour, an hour and a half. And sometimes not even about me, about being pregnant, just about life. And it it was so, that was healing. The space that she held for me. She would let me talk about my past experience. Um, she never really interjected with, oh, this is what happened. This is what I would have done. She just held that space for me to talk. And, you know, she would, I, I can, I'll never forget. And I can just, um, it was a, I think I was 37 weeks and she was like, you know, I don't even know if I'll make it to your birth. I just think it's going to happen so fast. And I, I just felt like it was this like ode to me, like this, like tipping the hat to me, like you will have your baby perfectly, whether I'm there or not. And I just was like, I see you, you know, and yeah. I, I needed that this time. And I'm okay with that. Like I, I wanted support. Um, I wanted someone there just in case because I had this fiction in my imagination that the same thing was going to happen again. But what do you know when birth is undisturbed? I would say eight times out of 10, you don't need it. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't live a fallacy where I don't think there's emergencies because I don't ever want to be insensitive to people that have had them. I know they're real, but I, I lived 
undisturbed birth and you don't create emergencies. That's the difference. Wow. Uh, I kind of wish every mom could have that midwife. That sounds unbelievable. That is what support is supposed to be like. She's a licensed midwife. And I, I think they're out there. There are these fairies out there who put women first. Like, I just yeah. don't, I don't have a shadow of a doubt. I don't mm-hmm. think I would have gotten to 42 weeks and her been like, bye. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to speak for her. I just know, I know I wouldn't have been put in those situations. I did things very unconventionally this time. I didn't do any routine tests. I did one ultrasound, which going forward, I don't think I'll do any. I just, it was so, I just leaned into myself so much. Um, last pregnancy, I had like terrible, it was very straightforward, uh, low risk, but I had terrible edema. Like I was just constantly swollen. I was so, like I said, I was so physically fit before pregnancy, but so undernourished. I think mineral wise, especially with the hair loss I had postpartum, I know that it was like an extreme mineral deficiency this time. And I think because like, even just having one baby, I went full crunchy. I was like, oh no, I'm, we're going to the chiropractor all the time. I'm going to drink egg yolk drinks. Like we're, we're switching it up in this house. So like, I also feel like my health has transformed since my last daughter, my first daughter. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it was amazing. I felt great this whole time. If there was ever a point where I would have been like, Hey, I want to check this or Hey, I'm having some swelling. I'm, you know, my, my, uh, blood pressure has been this, this, and this, I think she'd have been like, yeah, let's check it. But I just, she really let me lean into me. If mm-hmm. I wanted to weigh myself, cool. If I wanted to test my urine, we could, but if not, it wasn't a big deal. Mm. I Which, love that. That is so supportive. Yeah. And, yeah. and not to knock anybody who does do that, but this time I, I was just like, I do not need an ultrasound to bond with my baby. I don't need any of this. I don't need a pregnancy test to tell me I'm pregnant. I just, I just feel like with how much I admittedly and acceptably outsourced my first pregnancy, I was not doing it this one. Yep. That's so beautiful. Now, what was this birth experience like? How did that transpire? Oh my gosh. I feel like it came and went so fast. It's so funny because that night that we got tucked into bed, I wrote my birth story because it was so good. And we didn't really take any pictures. We definitely didn't get any video. I was like, I never want to forget this. But you know how fast it goes that you're like, I'm probably undoubtedly going to forget some of this. So I, that night I right away, fire fingers was on my phone. Like I, every detail of this, I got to write out. But let's see. How many days was I? I was 40 and one. And you should have seen everyone around me. It was like a day past your due date. Oh my God. You better get induced. I was at uh, Walgreens the day of my due date. And someone saw me stand up and they're like, wow, your baby must be due any day. And I was like, today's my due date. And she's like, oh, are you going to, are they going to sweep your membranes? And I was like, what the, who are you random <laughs> lady at Walgreens asking me this? And it's so funny because my first pregnancy, I would have had no, I wouldn't have responded. And I was like, absolutely not. And if my doctor offered, I wouldn't consent. <laughs> I was like feeling so spicy that day. But it's so funny because once you step into this power and once you like have this authority over your self and your life and your choices, I, I like love when people want to talk about this stuff. I'm like ready. Whereas before I was yeah. like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers or offend anybody or what, whatever. And she asked me if they're going to sweep my membranes. And I was like, absolutely not lady. And it was funny. <laughs> Get out of here, girl. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I don't think they asked me if I wanted to. They just did it. 
And I was like, this is a random woman at Walgreens who doesn't know that she was actually like sexually assaulted during pregnancy, you know, and that's how sad it is that I can have a random chat with a woman at Walgreens and she has trauma from pregnancy and birth and doesn't even know it. So Mm -hmm. the day after that, (laughs) uh, 40 and one, I woke up and I had a blood tinge mucus plug and I was like, yes, today's the day. I knew it. I knew that was the day. And so I told Jordan, I was like, don't go to work, stay home. We're just going to hang out all day. I'm having this baby before the day is over. And I had had some crampy contractions, like probably two or three in the morning that day, but I had had prodromal labor since 37 weeks. And I'm talking rhythmic, like things are getting started and then go away. Not just cute little Braxton Hicks. Like I was having prodromal labor full on. So once I got those crampy ones and blood tinge mucus, I was willing it to happen. We just hung out all day. I'm trying to think of what time it was, probably five o'clock is things got rhythmic. And that's kind of how I judge when labor starts is when Mm -hmm. things get rhythmic. And Jordan was like, we should text the midwife. (laughs) Like your contractions are, I didn't even want to time them this time. It was like, they're 10 minutes apart. And I was like, we'll text her in a bit. Like I, I, they weren't, I don't know. They weren't bringing me to my knees. Like I, the last time I labored with a TENS machine and I bought one this time for my home birth. And I was like, meh. I really need it. Um, I definitely started feeling emotional probably mm. an hour and a half later because we, two hours later, it was like seven 30. We were going to tuck Stevie in for bed. And I was like, Holy cow. Like this is the last I'll get emotional talking about it right now. This is the last time. Like I'm going to tuck my daughter into bed as an only child. And then once we tucked her in, I walked out of the room and I got like a zinger contraction and I was like, Oh yeah, we're having this baby tonight. I'm Here like, we go. We already set up the birth tub. It was blown up. There was no water in it. I had twinkle lights. I had bought some beautiful um, like affirmation prayer cards on the wall. And I was just riding the waves. Nothing, nothing painful. Although like that was not my goal. And I sometimes get annoyed with like pain free because like I, like I said, like I want to feel I truly mm-hmm. believe like birth is medicine and whatever you're given is what you needed. And I think yep. it breaks us down in ways we didn't know we needed to be. But I think because of the last time I was like ready to be at the birth center right away. Like I, it was just, it was so strange. I was just, I was like, fine, but I didn't have anywhere to go. So now that's what I attested to. Like there was, there was nowhere to be. It was, it was completely undisturbed. And Jordan came back in from tucking Stevie in and he was like, all right, we're texting the midwife. And, you know, I don't blame him. I, I know after the last time, like he had healing to do and he, mm-hmm. I mean, just to touch on this a little, like my spouse is amazing. I never had to convince him to have a home birth. I never, he, I never had to do any of that. And he still went through the trauma with me and Stevie and came out of it and was like, yeah, we're going to have a home birth. Like I just... I can't say enough about my partner because I don't know how I would go through all of this and have someone that I had to advocate for myself too. Like it's one mm. thing to advocate at the hospital, but a whole other thing to advocate in your home. And I really yeah. sympathize for women who have to do that. Like we just, we have That's a good amazing. flow of when we lean on each other for what, and like, I don't know what podcast it was, but the person, and it, it probably was on yours was like, whenever it's your turn to give birth, we'll let you. That was birth. Dr. Courtney. 
Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Courtney oh, Kayla, yeah. yeah. That's what I tell women. They're like, well, my husband won't let me do it. I'm like, well, you tell them this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, not fair. Like that's what oh. you, it's like, it's not fair. This is uh, Yolanda Norris Clark for free birth society. She, she said something one time. It was just like, you know, it's not fair. I, no, it's not fair. But also like who is the one, right? Like d- different parts of our relationship, like different through different times, like one person might be taking on more responsibility than the other. But when you are pregnant growing a child, birthing that child into the world, nourishing that child, like that's you. It's not, yes. it's not Their you. Their role in child making was much quicker than the yes. one role. Ours is a little bit longer, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, I'm trying to think of what time it was, probably 10. We decided to call the midwife. She had like a 15 minute drive. She heard me have a contraction and I was very just like, you know, kind of moany. I was listening to my music and everything just felt good. And she got there and I was like, you know what? I would like to be checked. Will you check me? She didn't touch me. She didn't take my blood pressure, nothing. And it felt so good to be like, I want to be checked. Even though I knew it wasn't this magic eight ball, I was perplexed. That's why I wanted to be checked because I was like, I cannot believe you're here. I cannot believe we just called you and that I'm having these contractions that are like timeable. It was just weird. So I was like, I just want an idea. And I was seven dilated I was like I'm about to be in transition and if not I am right now and I had my baby that night at 11 54 so after she checked me it was like things took off it was funny because Jordan was like do you want to lay down and take a nap like I really think this guy didn't think I was gonna have my baby till the next morning you know suggesting that I take a nap and one thing that I had told him was I wasn't very receptive to him. My last birth, I was so out of mind that any outside like recommendations, like sit here, lay here. I was just, I was in another world. You couldn't even communicate with me. I was just completely zoned in. And I was like, okay, I'll, t- I, I remember I told you that you should do this. I'll lay on the bed. And it, it caused my wave to really hurt. And I was like, no, I'm going to get up. And I just went to the bathroom and, was laboring in there. And then I decided to get in the, in the pool and the pool felt so good. It was so nice to know no one was going to yank me out of it. My twinkle lights were on. And then I, I just remember wanting like dark, like still quietness and darkness. And it was just so nice. Like no music, no one poking me. They didn't try to check my heart rate. Like I said, they didn't even check the babies. Like I think we just, just, there was no need. It was, just like I wished. I think she knew I really, I was pretending she wasn't there to make me feel empowered, you know? And she did what I asked. I mean, she was in our, uh, our daughter's playroom is connected. And I think she was sitting on her hands at one point, Mm -hmm. probably sat on her hands to just for some solidarity to me. And then Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to empty my bladder. So I got up out of, I got up out of the birth pool and went to the bathroom and that damn toilet man, (laughs) that damn toilet. I had a couple contractions on that toilet. And that was like one of the only suggestions she had was like, maybe you should stay here for a bit. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that sucks. Cause these are intense. Like the toilet just does something. And Mm -hmm. I kept joking because I would get off of it and I would look at it and I'd be like that effing toilet. (laughs) And we would laugh. But what was crazy. And even Jordan talks about is I would come out of a wave And I was just so normal. Like I was just having a conversation like this in between waves, which was so amazing to have that kind of like peace, control and serenity to go into labor land, but come out. Mm -hmm. Because 
I felt more present. You know, it wasn't just this thing that my body, I think, protected me from, kind of like my last experience. I was just able to feel it all. Um, I remember one of the contractions really getting away from me and it hurting and me being like, oh yeah, I let that one get away from me. But having, being able to know I let it get away from me and kind of reel back. And yep. I want to say at 11.30, 11.40, I was like, I'm going to get back in the pool. And the second I got in the pool, I started having a really, really deep guttural um, contractions. And I was like, Oh, it's, I just remember being like, not yet, like in my head, not yet. And I was like, Oh, she's coming. I looked at everyone. I was like, she's on her way. I could just feel her dropping. And I was like against the birth pool. And I had two contractions laying kind of propped on the back of the pool. And then, um, Jordan was like, do you want to try your hands and knees? And I was like, Oh, there he goes again, doing what I asked him to do. You know, this, he's doing his job. And I moved to my hands and knees. And I mean, I like, it's so crazy the amount of guttural response that I have with fur. I my I almost lost my voice the next day. It's such a deep, like, I was just like, God, my body. I can remember like, in, even in between those ones, like my body is so strong. And well, my midwife, when I went to my hands and knees, was like, Jordan, reach down and touch your baby. And I was like, no, like I wanted to catch the baby. I wanted to because I that I didn't have that last time. So once I got on my hands and knees, really like she just completely descended and I could I reached in and I could feel her head. The next wave she dropped again and she I could feel her crowning. And then the next wave I felt I actually felt my waters burst, which was amazing. And the second my waters burst, one more wave and then the next wave her head was out and then one more wave and her body was out. And there was just like this wow. moment. And I literally cry again when she was just so still, like under the water with her eyes open. And I just, the only thing I was watching and it was so beautiful. And it was in that moment, like, I just, like I said, birth is medicine. I know that's the medicine that I needed to heal from the last time. And I just pulled her up from the water. She had a a cord around her neck and I took the cord off her neck and she was kind of gurgly. And I just like, instinctively sucked some water out of her mouth a couple of times and then she just got to go to my chest and I just looked across the room and my midwives were sitting there and she has an assistant um they were just sitting there on their hands and knees like crisscross applesauce just smiling at me and Jordan was like beside me just like holy shit I didn't know she was gonna have a baby tonight (laughs) that happened so fast and I think my midwife felt bad because she had told Jordan to fill the baby and I was like she's like I'm so sorry I was like don't be sorry at all that was all so amazing like everything happened how it should and they just left us alone she came over I think I got the end of it about 10 minutes and checked her little heart and she was kind of gurgly and she was just like she's she's gonna clear all of that on her own and I just I, I kind of remember that's like what Stevie did but they just they didn't they couldn't even give my daughter the chance her autonomy to clear and come come to the world you know, and they just let her do that. And I mean, I started having contractions and my midwife was like, if you want to deliver your placenta now, I think your body's ready to. I delivered my placenta. And I mean, like, I think about it, there was no blood in the pool. And I'm like, there, there was probably none at the birth center. And I was so left alone. That's why there wasn't, even though blood is a variation of normal, right? Like there could be a ton. And especially in water, it looks crazy. That's not what I'm saying. But I was just like, 
wow, look at this unfold when it's not medically managed. And mm-hmm. I delivered my placenta and they were just like so complimentary of everything I were doing. They were like, you didn't even need us here. Like, look at how beautiful your placenta is. Like, I don't know. I just felt so appreciated and loved. And I was just like in awe of my baby. And she was actually against my skin. And it was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's amazing. And I, my placenta, like I said, and then a little bit later, they were like, do you want to go to the, do you want to go to the bed? And they handed the baby to Jordan and walked me and my, the plus, her and the, her placenta over to the bed. And it was like, I mean, two hours before we even cut the cord and she latched mm-hmm. within three minutes of us sitting in the bed. And it was just like, oh, it was amazing. It was truly just amazing. Oh, that is what a stark difference, oh. you know, what a stark difference from the previous experience. And just like you said, like healing that generational trauma, healing those wounds, that birth sounds like salve. Like that sounds like salve on your That's some brain and all over this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it just, it, it gets me emotional thinking of the joy of that and just the growth. And I tell you what, this baby, uh, Tommy, her name is Tommy. She's so calm. Mm-hmm. Breastfeeding has just, it's happened. It's I, I just, everything has been different. And I mean, I, it's not that I would not want my daughter, my oldest daughter to be as willful and like as strong as she is, but yeah, no, I can't help but think that because her entrance into the world was so gentle, that that's why she is so mm-hmm. gentle and just, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. I think there's also, you know, one thing that we don't want to overlook is the this idea that in that pregnancy you grew so much. Like you took what you learned in your first pregnancy in your first birth and then you grew in your second. And think about the the comfort that we get from boundaries from the safety that we get from our parents when our parents are in that seat of control when they feel confident with their job like oh good I can relax like how lovely is that to for your baby for Tommy to have been grown inside of your body with you feeling that power and you feeling that strength and her just feeling like okay I can be a little tiny growing baby like I don't have to worry. I can just do what I was designed to do. And my mom's going to take care of me. That's yep. huge. Yeah. It was, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think about it and I wish, I wish this and I wish I could speak this over every woman's life because I just feel like every woman deserves this. Like what, what would, what more would we be doing as people in the world if women all were in their in their power like this and got to experience birth like this I just I really think we could heal the world I don't know like I just I've never I've never done anything as amazing as birth Mm. well I think that this story in particular is a mind changer I think that your experience is one of those experiences that is going to just stand out and moms are going to gravitate towards and the way that you took power, (laughs) accepted power, accepted responsibility. And you, I mean, you've so beautifully explained how that has impacted your life, how it's impacted your children. That's going to make other mothers feel that confidence to do it for themselves too. And so I just want to thank you for 
your willingness to share this and to share, you know, kind of where you were. And like you said, you know, doing your best in a lot of ways. And, but the growth, the growth from someone who was already like kind of crunchy, whatever you want to call it to now, like, oh my gosh, you've owned it. Like you have absolutely owned it. I know. I, I, we were watching baseball last night and I looked over at Jordan. I was like, we could totally have our baby, our next baby unassisted. I was like, and I don't think I want to use the Doppler. I said, and I damn sure I'm not going to find out the gender. I was like, and I don't think I want any ultrasounds. And he was just like, interesting. That's what you're thinking about right now. And I was like, yeah, I just, (laughs) I'm always thinking about this. Like, I just, I, I've, I've even told Jordan, like, I just, I feel like I want to help women and support women in this way. You know, like I almost feel like I'm being called to like do something different in my life. I don't know how, but I also would never ever want, I feel like it's tricky because I'd never want to be a part of like the first system that burned me so bad. So I even, even just sharing my story feels like maybe the way that I can help other people. Well, I know that it will. And I, I mean, that's, it's healing for me to hear. It's just so, so empowering. So uh, Courtney, just thank you so much for your willingness to share. Thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. How powerful was that? As we head into this week's episode roundup, I am still feeling a bit overwhelmed with emotion from this amazing discussion. I've got a few points that I'd love to expand upon from this conversation. So let's start with how Courtney views her first birth experience. While there is plenty for her to be upset and frustrated about in regards to her care, I love the way that Courtney chooses to frame her experience. She isn't sitting in victimhood, but accepting responsibility, accepting the experience for what it was and choosing to see and appreciate the beautiful moments. Sometimes we've got to tease through the event to find the beauty and that can feel frustrating, but how much more powerful than to allow the event to pull you down into despair. We don't always have a choice in regards to outcomes but we can always choose our perspective. And if we need help doing that, then seeking out that help is massively important. Number two, sovereign motherhood. Courtney felt that she shed her old skin, the questioning, uncertain skin of the past in the birth pool when she met her second daughter, Tommy. She was reborn as the sovereign mother to her two daughters that she was designed to be. No more questioning herself, no more outsourcing. She understands that her intuition was given by God and she will use it. And lastly, I want to take a moment to touch on care providers. Courtney's experiences were both at the hands of midwives. We've got to remember that a title alone means absolutely nothing. One manipulated and pushed for her own way, while the other sat on her hands peacefully watching Courtney enter back into motherhood. We've got to remember that who we select as our care provider does carry a massive amount of weight. I understand that some of us have more options than others, but this is something to be considered deeply. Does your midwife see herself as a hero or as a servant? The answer will dictate much. Okay, my friends, I am so encouraged by Courtney's story, and her second birth is the birth I wish for mothers to experience. No, it doesn't have to go the same way. The events don't have to be the same, but the experience of tender support and encouragement is what we need as mothers. 
I hope this story impacted you deeply, as it certainly did me. And that's all that I've got for you for today. I'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.